Hey beautiful people, welcome to Adulthood Aesthetics with Danny B. I'm Danny B and I'm back. I'm back. I know it's been a while, um, but I'm back. Season two is back, better than ever. Um, I think I want my quarter four word to be consistency. Um, as you know, adulthood aesthetics is for the young, black, and growing, and that is exactly what I am. I'm young, I'm black, and I'm growing and learning how to navigate um, just the space that I'm in right now in my life. And that includes having some ups and downs and trying to figure out how the fuck to get things done when you want to get them done. So um, consistency has definitely been an issue that I'm working with. Time management is also something that I'm working with, not just with the podcast, but at work, work-life balance, all that. But if you have something that you want to do, um, you'll eventually find your way back to it. So here I am, ready to give you more amazing content, ready to share more amazing stories, ready to give you more amazing resources to help you grow. So let's hop right into it. So one thing that hasn't changed from season one to season two is that adulthood aesthetics is still dedicated to mindfulness and wellness and providing um, resources for us to make healthy choices during the stages of our lives. And since November is here, the seasons are changing. It's getting cold. It's getting dark. I'm sure everybody has heard of seasonal depression. I just kind of was interested in a trend. Well, I don't want to call it a trend because trend kind of sounds negative but something that's been popular which is going to therapy so I was like let me bring in somebody that knows all things therapy therapy 101 that'll dive in and give us some resources on how we can use therapy in our lives so I have my friend Sam hey Sam hey (laughs) so I have my friend Sam here Samara Brown is a master's student at Northwestern University studying mental health counseling so how tired of you about talking about mental health and therapy? Because I know whenever I have a question about therapy or mental health, I'm like, let me text Sam. <laughs> no, these are my favorite things to talk about. I can talk all day long about mental health work or doula work. One or the other, you, you've got me. Okay, perfect. So you're not tired of talking about it. So I picked the perfect person. And you said you're a doula. We're going to maybe talk about doula work towards the middle or end or whatever, because I definitely want to dive into that as well, because that's definitely a form of therapy as well, right? Well, yeah, I actually um, just started postpartum doula work. And in that realm, it's a little closer to therapy, because you really tend to the mom's emotions and what she's going through during that time. Okay, that's awesome. So I want to get right into it. It's going to be like therapy 101 because I've heard a lot of people don't believe in therapy, that don't like putting their business out there in the street or that don't like, you know, getting constructive criticism from others. We're going to just dive right in. What is therapy? Like why therapy? Well, I think that a lot of people think you just go into therapy, tell the therapist about your problem, and then they tell you how to solve it. And I think that's why it ends up being frustrating for a lot of people because the therapist isn't going to give you all the answers. Um, And if your therapist is giving you all the answers, then probably not the best therapist. (laughs) Um, I like to think of therapists as like uh, the human version of a mirror. Hmm. So basically in therapy, they're 
reflecting back to you what you're portraying to them. Hmm. So they're telling you their perception of what you're experiencing. Um, and then it gives it may give you even a little bit of insight as to how other people in the outside world are perceiving you. Okay, that's interesting. So you said that therapists are not supposed to tell you what to do. They're supposed to be like more like a self-reflecting mirror. So if I'm looking in a mirror, how would a therapist help me see those flaws? Because I might not necessarily see what I need to see when I'm looking in the mirror. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, this is how therapy gets a little bit complicated and uncomfortable for the client mm. um, because as a therapist, you're kind of trained to um, notice any contradictions in what people are saying mm. or if someone is, for example, experiencing a situation where they're trying to communicate to the people around them and the people around them are completely misinterpreting what they're saying. They can never seem to effectively communicate with somebody else, then that therapist will probably have the same or a similar perspective as the people around them. So, but they'll actually sit and listen to what the person is saying, think about how they're perceiving it, and then notice the contradictions between the two. Okay, I see. If you see a contradiction between like what you're saying and between what you're doing, that's noticing like a flaw, like that's an issue in yourself. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a flaw, but <sighs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that is a little bit more complicated in therapy <laughs> is that um, we typically see things within like American society. We typically see things as good or bad. And that's mm. not the case. Um, in most cases, things are not black and white. There's right. a lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. And so when you say like, this is a flaw or this is an issue, that's really subjective. So... Uh, within therapy, it may not even, the contradictions may not even be a flaw. It's just something. Okay. And so, like, all of our experiences, our, the family that we come from, our childhood, whatever, those things play a role in how we learn how to solve problems, communicate with other people, etc. So, um basically the contradictions they may not even be a flaw per se but that's how you've learned to communicate in the past okay um another thing is like social norms don't necessarily equal healthy mm. so if it's normal you may get used to acting that way or communicating that way but it may not be the healthiest way to communicate or to act okay Got it. I definitely got that. Because I remember you saying about black and white, you were saying in a previous conversation, not everything is positive and negative. Like, stop saying, like, yes, exactly. oh, this is a positive behavior. This is a negative behavior because not everything is necessarily positive and negative. Got it. So my other question is, 
what are the different reasons why people go to therapy? Like, why should one go to therapy? Because I know it's becoming like a really big thing. People are like, get you a therapist, therapy, therapy, therapy. And I just want to know why. Well, I know why. But a lot of people want to know, like, why? What's the big deal? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of reasons for people to go to therapy. I personally believe that everybody could use some therapy. <laughs> Um, some of the common reasons that people think about are like if you have a mental health disorder or if you've experienced some extreme trauma, um, but you can experience very small traumas or just want a better understanding of what you're going through or what you've been through in the past. Okay. And also disorders, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So with trauma, how can you identify that you've experienced trauma? Well, the thing about trauma is that perspective plays a big role. Um, I think most people hear other people's experiences and want to dictate whether or not it counts as trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, it's solely based on perspective. Uh, me and you could experience the exact same event and for me, it may be traumatic and it may cause some disorder in my life versus for you, it might be just like. Whatever. It just, it just <laughs> happened. Yeah, like, it, it just happened. It like, completely not matter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So trauma is based off of perspective because I know everybody's like trauma, trauma. This is traumatic. This is traumatic. But, um. A lot of traumatic things happen in, in people's lives that would... So is it important for us to identify an event as traumatic before going into therapy? Because I know a lot of times things happen to people and they don't even realize it's traumatic or they don't even realize that it's affecting them in their everyday lives. Yeah. So is it important for you to identify what's traumatic? Or will that um, is that something I... that you'll work on and that you'll find out through therapy? If you haven't noticed something as traumatic and it's actually had a traumatic effect on you, it'll it'll show up in therapy. Okay. Um, your therapist can help you figure out what exactly that is. Um, I think sometimes we're slightly aware of certain things that are traumatic, um, but sometimes we stay at the surface level. So some people may think of something as traumatic and not realize the reason they perceived it as traumatic is because of something else, mm. if that makes sense. <laughs> a lot of these things are, are kind of hard to explain the concept of, but like, let's say if a middle schooler had a, had a relationship and her boyfriend broke up with her and for her, that was so traumatic and probably all the adults and everybody else around her are looking at her like girl you are 12. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality like what if her parents had gotten divorced at a young age mm -hmm. and that first breakup to her meant oh i'm never gonna have a successful relationship right oh i completely don't know how to communicate with others because all i have in terms of a, um of role models for relationships were my parents mm -hmm. and they didn't have a good relationship. It brings up other things okay. that, that make it a little bit more painful or make it stick in your mind more. 
Okay, I see. So something that might be little that you might not even realize is traumatic might be building blocks to something that like is traumatic. Got it. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Now, does trauma always have to be negative? Like, is the ending result of trauma always something like terrible or bad behavior or negative behavior or something like that? Can you have like an experience that was positive to to you or something or an experience that was crazy but might have had a positive effect? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And then I I do want to point out beforehand that like, psychological trauma and physical trauma are different things oh so when you think of trauma in like a hospital setting it's mm-hmm. probably like physical trauma which can be like blunt floor blunt force trauma right um versus your perception of something which can be traumatic okay so there actually is a concept called post-traumatic growth oh. um i know everyone is familiar with um like ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. um but post-traumatic growth is actually when people experience a traumatic event but they end up with a positive outcome because of it so when you hear about people who are in um maybe like natural disasters or like a plane crash Mm -hmm. and then they end up alive afterward and they think like whoa, I've been taking life for granted. Like, <laughs> I'm going to live life to the fullest. Or There's like, so many movies that are like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, that's an example of post-traumatic growth when you come out with a more positive outcome versus, like, having recurring nightmares of the event or, or something like that. Okay, yeah. Like, there's so many movies that are, like, got into a car accident, come out the car accident, and now I want to, like, save the world or do everything that I've wanted to exactly. do or go find my children that I was being shitty to. Okay, got it. So that's post-traumatic growth. That's awesome. And so you were saying um, another reason why people go to therapy is um, if they, like, are dealing with some type of disorder. How would one know that they're dealing with a disorder? And what yeah, are the different that's... types of disorders, like some common ones? Oh yeah, that's a that's a very loaded question. Oh, so... um, no, it's a good question though because I think a lot of people struggle with this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are way too many disorders to name. There are a good few that are common, um, <clears throat> but um, I would say something that might tell you you have a disorder would be like if you have difficulty communicating with others like if you're constantly trying to communicate with others and they and they have trouble understanding what you're saying that oh may wow be one. I um I um that's really interesting not to cut you off that's really interesting that you said that because mm-hmm. I was this is super random I was watching an interview on YouTube and it was this is very random it was of Joey Badass and he was talking about <laughs> his one of his friends that committed suicide and like the interviewer was like, well, did you know how like depressed and sick he was? Like, how did you know? And he was like, Mm -hmm. it was, it was coming to the point where it was like, he would talk and like, he would speak and nobody would understand him. And like, that's how he realized, he was like, that's when I realized like he was like, something was wrong with him. And so that's interesting that you said, like when it's hard for other people to understand you, that might be a sign of a disorder. 
Yeah. And then in that case with um, someone who's suicidal, imagine how frustrating that is when you're trying to communicate and no one can understand you. Right. Um, that's a really difficult situation. Um, another sign may be like if you're having trouble managing your emotions. Um, and, and that one's a little bit difficult because we have societal norms in terms of emotions mm-hmm. um, that aren't necessarily healthy. So when I say having trouble managing emotions, I mean like you're not expressing your emotions in a healthy way Hmm. um, and it might be causing harm to other people the way that you manage your emotions. Um, And then sometimes you have physical symptoms. I think a lot of people overlook the physical symptoms. Um, Some like common symptoms are like muscle tension, fatigue, like you feel like you're about to catch a cold but you're not actually sick. or like insomnia, like sleeping too much, or even like sleeping too little. I mean, that's sleeping too little, but you might also sleep too much. Right. Okay, so there's definitely physical symptoms, mental symptoms, um, hard to communicate. Got it. So another argument um, against therapy that I've also heard is that like young people don't need therapy. Like what have you gone through in life that requires you um, to need therapy? You know, um, millennials don't need therapy. Gen Z don't need therapy. So um, how would you answer that argument? How can young people benefit from therapy? Um, I think that is like a societal belief that young kids don't have problems or that you don't experience anything quote unquote real in life until you get older. And I think it's ridiculous, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a mindset that we've got in the habit of using when we become adults to justify our behavior or to say like, we provided a quality space for these young people. When in reality, there's no way to create a perfect space for a, for a person or a child. Mm. Everyone messes up at some point. Right. And so I think a lot of times people don't think children are receptive of when um, there's arguing in the household or if you use like curse words or if anything bad is going on. I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, babies can't understand that. Little kids don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) And this is partially uh, amongst, like, my doula work as well. Mm -hmm. But children are extremely receptive of what we do and what we say. The way I like to imagine it, a child's brain is literally like a sponge. Mm. And it's a completely clean slate. So every little piece of information, whether that's body language or verbal language or behaviors, children pick up on that because they're constantly learning when, especially from their caregivers. Mm -hmm. So the parents of the child, they, the children look to their parents for all sources of correct information, which is a lot to put on a parent we're never always going to get it right Mm -hmm. but that's why it should be acceptable for children to receive therapy if you want them to grow to have like um 
healthy coping mechanisms, healthy defense mechanisms, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times um, people don't realize how much children take in of the environment around them. Right. And I honestly think the quicker you can try to reverse that, those mistakes, because like you said, everybody makes mistakes. The quicker you can try to reverse those mistakes, the better. Um, you might not want to necessarily put your elementary school kid in therapy, even though I feel like little kids should be able to benefit from that as well. But like, just like with our age, like early 20s, mid 20s, like the quicker you can identify those those problems or those mistakes that happened, you know, because I mean, we're we're young adults, but we're not that old. So like it, it hasn't, it wasn't that long ago to when those, you know, childhood mistakes happens and whatever. I just feel like the quicker you can identify that and try to reverse it, the easier like life will be, you know? Yeah, it's true. Um, a lot of times we grow up in families that don't emphasize the correct way to express your emotion mm-hmm. or allow you to even feel emotions. I know. <laughs> Um, that's a, that's a big thing. Like, um, within the black community, we talk a lot about how we aren't fully able to express our emotions all of the time Mm -hmm. because it might seem disrespectful. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but in reality, like you need to be teaching your kids how to express their emotions. If they're angry with you or if you make them sad, like, Take responsibility for that and right. and allow them to express those emotions. Obviously, we don't want kids expressing them in disrespectful ways. You don't have to, like, yell at your parents or anything like that. But, like, ex- being able to express your emotions and knowing how to healthily do that helps you in the long run. Um, so the sooner you do get in therapy, the sooner you're able to, like, correct those behaviors or learn more about yourself, it's definitely going to come in handy and help you live a more like fulfilling life in the long run. So as far as being able to express your emotions in a healthy way, is that considered emotional intelligence? Cause that's also another buzzword that's being thrown around a lot is emotional intelligence. And I just wanted to know if you had a definition of that. Well, the dictionary definition of emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically that's a lot so you're gonna have to break that down for us (laughs) yeah so um basically when it comes to emotional intelligence for one you have to be aware of your emotions okay this is a big one in therapy because we're not even taught how to accurately label our emotions. Mm. Um, we may be taught when we're very young, like in preschool. And then after that, we we aren't able to, um, or we're not taught how to do that. And even then, we're only given like three emotions, sad, happy, mad, and whatever, exactly. you know, there's so many more. Exactly. And there, yeah, there's so much more to that. I actually have to... A lot of times with my clients, I bring out um, an emotion wheel. And I wish people could could see visuals of this, but it's a wheel, basically. In the center, it has um, some of the basic emotions like mad, scared, sad, happy. 
and then it kind of branches out to more specific um, emotions. Mm. So like, for example, on, on this feeling wheel, in the middle, it'll say sad. And then an extension of that might be lonely. And then the two words that stem from that are lost and isolated. Oh, wow. See, so yeah. Like, yeah, we're not being taught. Do you feel isolated, little sweetie, when we're in, in preschool? Right. Wow. <laughs> and like, that may be too much for a little kid to understand. Which yeah, is why definitely. We just give them the basics. Mm-hmm. But once we become adults, we experience more complex emotions. And then we don't know how to label those. Yeah, people don't even wouldn't even know how to recognize isolation at the age of 30. Right. And then a big thing is that most people experience like anger issues. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is that a lot of times underneath anger is sadness. Mm. And so that's a big thing that comes out in therapy for a lot of people. It's like, I'm feeling angry about this. I'm feeling angry about that. But in reality, you're feeling sad because of something. So emotions can layer themselves. Yeah, yeah. But that's probably the most common one, Mm -hmm. like anger covering up sadness. Okay. Because if you think about it, like anger is more socially acceptable than sadness. Yeah. And that differs between genders, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's typically what it is. Um, Another thing in this definition is that you should be able to control those emotions. Mm Mm-hmm. So that goes back to what we talked about with what's healthy and what's socially acceptable. So, um, yeah, like what's socially acceptable might be like yelling at someone when they do something wrong to you. And it depends on the situation, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people will hike stuff like that up on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Like if you have like a spouse or someone who's doing something wrong. And you, like, bust them out or, like, you expose them on Twitter or something. And everyone's like, that's what they get. But in reality, like, that's not a healthy way to handle things. Read me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, like, we're we're allowed to feel these emotions and we're allowed to express them, but we have to express them in healthy ways. Okay. Um, And be able to control them so that we're not doing the most. Okay. Um, And then expressing your emotions was also part of that definition. So, I think it's really interesting that they talk about um, interpersonal relationships in mm-hmm. that definition. Okay. Um, What's that, interpersonal any, relationships? Um, basically, like, any close relationship you have. So you can have, like, an interpersonal relationship with your mom, your dad, your best friend, your boyfriend, your husband, your child, you know? So you have roles. Okay, so, okay. I, like... I like having that word now, interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. because people are like, oh, relationships, romantic relationships, non-romantic relationships. So instead of saying non-romantic relationships, it's just an interpersonal relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that way better. Got it. Yeah. And so it says, like, you should be able to handle those relationships judiciously and empathetically, which is just a fancy way of saying being able to control your emotions, communicate effectively, and also understand that person's perspective. I was going to say empathetically, um, empath, yeah, empathy is definitely important, I feel like, in emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think our generation has really 
try to embrace empathy. Yes. Whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, I think we feel it a lot stronger than past generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's hard when you're empathetic. But also with the word empath, I think a lot of people misunderstand what that means. I see a lot of people (laughs) saying that they're an empath, but they only empathize with like a minority in a situation or somebody who seems more like a victim. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you were a true empath, you would even be feeling the the emotions of someone you don't like. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, like I somewhat consider myself an empath i'm trying to think i don't think i fully do but i think a lot of my own stuff gets in the way of me being an empath sometimes you know yes. but i can acknowledge that okay um but i i i feel like when i really put my impact hat on or my therapist hat on i can un- i can understand anyone's perspective mm. i can i can feel for anybody pretty much even if they're like a racist which is like like advocating in terms of like race yeah is a big thing for me personally yes because i have a lot of trauma surrounding that right so like that's when my own stuff comes up mm-hmm. but like if i'm in therapy like that doesn't really affect that you know what i mean so you would be able to help a racist yeah yeah oh, wow. i mean obviously there would need to be a discussion there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how much um, someone who is racist would want to see me as a person. <laughs> that makes like, a lot I'm of a sense. I'm a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely wouldn't mind being a therapist for, for someone who has um, certain beliefs. Um, but within therapy, that's something that's difficult. And that's something that you learn when you go to school to become a therapist is that when there's something in the room like that, like say I have a client and they say certain things and it makes me think like, oh, this person might, their beliefs might align with like white supremacy or something like that. (laughs) Then I would, I would be feeling uncomfortable. I'm sure they would be feeling uncomfortable. So that's a conversation we would need to have with each other. Mm. And those are conversations that we don't see as socially acceptable. Right. Which is why sometimes therapy gets really hard for people. But if there's a situation where someone is uncomfortable with me because of my gender or uncomfortable with me because of my race or for any reason, if I can acknowledge that as the therapist, I need to bring that up and ask them what, how they're feeling about it. And we need to have a conversation about that before we can actually get real work done. Okay, perfect. That actually segues into my next point. How do you know what therapist is best for you? Like, how are you? I've heard that you're supposed to like date your therapist. How do you date your therapist? What should we be looking for? How long is long enough to know that that this person is right for me to help me? Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that terminology, like dating your therapist. <laughs> For one, because I, I find it kind of funny, but also I think that's a good way to see it. Like, there's always been a stigma around therapy because some people have an experience with the therapist and they say, like, oh, therapy is not for me. But let me tell you, some therapists out here, they're not going to be for you. <laughs> um, you have to find the therapist 
um, with the right like theoretical orientation. You have to find the therapist with the right personality. Right. A big thing for like black women or black men when they're finding therapy, sometimes they like to find another black person who is a therapist because there's a certain level of experience there. That's such an important part of us. Yeah. Like you don't have to explain every experience that you've been through and why it was hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. That person may already understand. But I will say that throughout my time um, at Northwestern, I've really realized that there are some very experienced therapists of different ethnicities or racial backgrounds that fully understand Mm -hmm. our experiences. You may not even have to explain that to them. I've had professors blow my mind because the way that they present themselves or just the way that they look, my perceptions did not align with how they actually were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I do encourage people to just find the therapist that's right for you. You, If you're Black, you don't have to find a Black therapist. But if that's what's going to make you comfortable, Mm -hmm. then you can do that as well. You know? Um, It'll be a lot harder to overcome something you're uncomfortable with and then get the work done. Right. Does that make sense? No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it does make sense, but just explain that. Yeah. So, like, as a black woman, if I have experiences with white men undermining my experiences or completely misinterpreting who I am, sitting down with a white male therapist might bring up a lot of stuff for me. Okay, got it. You know? Yes. And I may have to work through that to get to let my walls down, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to tell him about some deep experiences I've had and do that work. Okay. But sometimes it also is very helpful to have the perspective of someone who's nothing like you. Really? Yeah. And that's hard to believe. How will they? How? <laughs> hmm Well, for one, within, and this gets a little bit touchy, and this is where some people may not like therapy. Mm-hmm. But there are cultural norms no matter what culture you're from that are sometimes unhealthy Mm. and so someone from another culture may be able to recognize that better okay or um their own struggles or like like say i'm a black woman i see a black woman therapist We've probably been through similar experiences. We've had similar reactions. We know how to justify those behaviors, those thoughts, whatever. Right. That person is going to understand you, but there's a chance that you won't fully see different um, I, it might not like a really hard concept too. No, I definitely understand what you're saying. So yes, if if you as a black woman 
and myself as a black woman and I tell you something that I did that might not necessarily be healthy, but you as a black woman, you do it too. You're like, oh yeah, I completely understand. So we're not, the both of us are not understanding that what I'm doing is unhealthy because you're doing it too, like as a black woman. Mm -hmm. So it might be easier for somebody to be like, hmm, that's, that's not as healthy. But you also have to, it also gives the point of, are we going to be receptive to somebody's telling that what we're used to doing is unhealthy? Like if there's something exactly. that like I'm used to doing as a black woman and if a white man were to say like that's unhealthy, am I realistically going to be receptive or am I going to be offended right now in my life? Exactly. I would probably be offended and I would be like, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what it's like to be a black woman, you know, but exactly as a, like that might be something that I might need to hear. Yeah, I completely and see, understand. This is where like the duality in situations comes out mm. because it wouldn't, we would perceive that as a negative thing. Like, right. no, I'm not going to therapy with this white man who's telling me everything that I'm doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's pros and cons to that situation. It's gray area, you know? Right. Because you also have to consider if you're still submerged in this community, you have to act a certain way. The reason you build up these ways of communicating and these certain behaviors is because you have to thrive and you have to function in that community. Right. So if you're still in that community, it's helpful to learn healthier behaviors, but how can you still incorporate that into your regular life and still thrive in that community? Right. I definitely understand that. And then in some situations like that, therapists just simply would not know. Because like you said, you have professors and you, you know, therapists mm-hmm. that are able to understand both. But but sometimes, you know, they might not they might not get that. Yeah. So that's why you have to date around. Yep. So you have to try different therapists of different backgrounds. Um, I know we touched on like theoretical orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's um, that? Which basically means what theory that therapist uses to structure how they approach therapy. What are some Um, different types? Yeah. Um, I think the most common type is CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Um, And easy way to summarize that is um, you change the thought process, you change the behaviors um, and it's very structured. I think most therapists use this because it's easy to use for insurance purposes. Okay. I don't know if everybody knows this, but in order to take insurance, um, you have to provide a diagnosis for the insurance company that they're willing to spend their money on, basically. Hmm. And then um, when you use cognitive behavioral therapy, it's very easy to track progress, which the insurance company wants in order to pay for the services so i think that's why a lot of therapists use that type of therapy sam but do does do you have to have will everybody be diagnosed with something when going to therapy it depends on the therapist and not everybody has a disorder right so so yeah. is that the is that where you get like the muddiness of like the insurance not wanting to pay for it because you don't technically have a disorder? Yes. Okay. Um, yes, that's exactly where that comes into play. And this is why therapists I don't know if they express this openly, but 
they have so much trouble when working with insurance yeah. companies. Like, I mean, we all know how insurance works. Like, it, it's so complicated. And in my opinion, like, clearly not for anyone's benefit. Mm-mm. Like, it, it, I don't even, it's clearly for profit. And that's so frustrating. I'm going to have but, an episode um, all about yeah. insurance because exactly. I don't know what what's going on. I just know that I pay for that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. But anyway, um, yeah, so they want a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. People don't always have a diagnosis. Right. Um, there are a lot of other theories. Another common one that I'm a fan of is DBT which is dialectal behavioral therapy. Hmm. Um, This theory was created for personality disorders, um, specifically borderline personality disorder, uh, because the creator of this theory has borderline personality disorder. What is that? um, Which is why she created it. Okay. Yeah. And um, this one focuses on like meditation it was created kind of from Buddhist practices. Oh, wow. So lots of meditation, emotion regulation, um, radical acceptance, things like that. Um, within my program that I'm in, my master's program, we are focused on psychodynamic therapy. Okay. Um, there's a lot of theories within psychodynamic therapy. A lot of people know about like Freud Yes. Um, But basically, it really focuses on how your experiences, how your childhood, how your like family of origin, how all those things play into your decision making, your worldview, the way you communicate, all of that. Okay. Got it. And that psycho, psychodynamic. What is that one called? Psychodynamic. That seems like, Mm -hmm. after listening to all your definitions, that seems like the most common one. Is that like more of the like, sit on the couch, how do you feel, write down, da 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 da, and like tap into your psyche? Yeah. What is it called? Mm -hmm. Talk therapy? Yeah, that's how that's how they portray it in movies all the time. Yes, yes, I'm going based <laughs> off of movies as well. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's definitely the theory that they always use to, to show therapists um, in movies and books and things. Psychodynamic therapy. That's interesting. That's that's the when mm-hmm. I think of therapy, that's what I think, and I feel like when I have gone to therapy, I guess I was participating in psychodynamic therapy. But you said that CBT is the most common. I don't think I was. I was going through CBT therapy because I was never well, given a diagnosis of anything. <laughs> I will say that every therapist, I think, like, rarely do therapists stick to one specific theory all the time. Okay. So there's other things sprinkled in. I think psychodynamic gets sprinkled into other theories, um, but the theory itself kind of helps track what you're doing like it helps in terms of like note taking um what you're submitting to insurance possibly um stuff like that okay so on the more technical side of things okay got that awesome so do you have any like resources that you can share maybe like websites instagram pages books or anything that um, the listeners could maybe dive more into if they're 
interested in frameworks or just more about therapy in general and how therapy could help advance their lives. Yeah. So in terms of finding a therapist, um, there are a few websites that I usually suggest to people. Um, Psychology Today is a magazine, but on their website, um, you can search for therapists in your area. Um, and they have a bunch of filters, so you can search based on um, what disorders they are specialized with or what types of therapy they use. Um, another one that I suggest to um, like Black people who are looking for therapists, I know within our community there are certain um, stigmas around therapy which is why we tend to be a little bit more comfortable with a black therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the websites that I suggest for that are Mm -hmm. therapyforblackgirls.com, therapyforblackboys.com. Oh, really? Yeah, and there's actually a um, therapyforblackmen.org. Oh, wow. I knew, I know of therapy for black girls. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually found my own personal therapist on there. So I definitely like to suggest those websites for anyone who is a little bit nervous about therapy. But again, you'll still have to date around even if you find a black therapist and their personality might match. But we have to focus on growth in therapy. So sometimes when you really can relate to that therapist, it may not be as productive. (laughs) But it might be. So date around, definitely. Um, When it comes to learning about different theoretical frameworks, I kind of hesitate to give out resources. Mm -hmm. Um, For one, you can pretty much just Google any of them and find decent information about the the basics of them. But I would suggest um, like calling around, talking to different therapists about what theoretical framework they use. And based on how they describe it, um, you can get an idea of how they're going to approach therapy. Um, if you have a specific disorder that you know of, if you've been diagnosed by like your general practitioner or something like that, um, you can Google and see what kind of theoretical practices um, align with your disorder. Because some of them are better for others. Right. Are better than others. So yeah awesome yay thanks sam do you have any last words you want to leave the listeners with oh and shout yourself out where they can find you and all that good stuff and your doula work and all of that oh yeah so um the words of advice that i would give is just find a therapist and don't give up on therapy even if you have a bad therapist (laughs) like keep working toward it because when you find the right one it's super, super beneficial. Um, again, my name is Samara Brown, but I also go by Sam. Um, Sam. You can find me on Instagram at Sammy Mac, spelled S-A-M-I-M-A-C-K. Um, I have my own doula business called Blossom Doula Services. Um, if you want to Google that, you can you can find that. Um, but yeah. So that's my business name where you can find me and my Instagram. Yay. Okay. And last but not least, 
You are on adulthood aesthetics and the definition of aesthetics is the set of principles concerned with the nature of beauty. So my question is to you, Sam, what is something that you find beautiful about your life right now? I think that's a great question. Um, Through all of my therapy work and my doula work, I've really learned how to communicate efficiently with people and it makes life so wonderful. Uh I just lately I've been really reflecting on that, how well I've been able to better understand people and communicate with them. So, yeah. That's awesome. I love that answer. Communication is literally key for everything. It's crazy. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Sam. Thanks for having me, Danny. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Adulthood Aesthetics or any other episode that you've listened to, please, 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 please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Adulthood Aesthetics. There's going to be a lot of new fun things happening over there. Follow me on Instagram at DannyRB underscore. Have a great week. Stay mindful. Bye.